been a while since we've seen so many babies at Calvary Bible Chapel. It's great. I appreciate the worship this morning and um, recognizing the Lord Jesus as, um, as the one who is uh, jealous for his, his children and um, paid uh, by his own blood for our salvation. That's, um, that's a great way to start the week and a uh, great way to, to finish up today if the Lord would return. I'm, I'm eager, anxious for it. We're continuing in our study of um, uh, Romans 8. So let's turn to Romans chapter 8. God saves the believing sinner from the penalty of his or her sin. In um, Romans 3, 24, we read, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So um, we have redemption, and it's by grace, and it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his work and not ours. Um, Romans 4, 5, to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So uh, God here is um, uh, justifying the, uh, the believer. He takes, um, he takes that sin that was in our lives and he places the guilt of it on the Lord Jesus. He um, takes the righteousness of Christ and applies it to us. And so we are, um, our faith is accounted for righteousness. What a salvation this is. And then in Romans 5, we read uh, verse 10, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. So uh, that is kind of a panorama of God's salvation of sinners from the penalty of sin. But God is not satisfied. He doesn't want you uh, believers just to be delivered from the penalty of sin, but also from its power. So he made abundant provision for living a, a sanctified, victorious uh, Christian life. And we read in chapter 6 uh, the provision that God has made. And just a uh, summary in verse 4, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So God is, um, is making provision that we should walk uh, not just as redeemed sinners, but as victorious redeemed sinners. It's the believer's new norm. As he, um, as he continues in uh, Romans 6, verses 5 through 7, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Christ's death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that's, that's key. That's key to... Uh, to living victorious life is knowing that our old man is crucified with Christ. David um, Robertson, in a recent message, he said, we were dead in sin, now we're dead to sin, okay? We were dead, separated from God, now we're, uh, we're dead, uh, separated to God, dead to sin. And uh, thus the apostle answers the questions, must I continue in sin? Emphatically, no. Does God's grace encourage sinful living? No. However, there's a struggle. Though our old man is powerless, he's still present, and we may choose to sin. It's a, a deliberate, has to be a deliberate choice on our part because um, our new nature um, is free from sin. We need not only to know our old man crucified with Christ, but we must 
count on it. We must reckon it so. We have to depend on it as we go day by day, know my old man is crucified with Christ, reckon, believe, uh, count on the fact that I'm now dead to sin and alive to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just to know, but to reckon, to count on. And then um, through uh, knowing my old man crucified and reckoning myself uh, dead to sin and alive to God, I do what? I present myself to God, alive to God, and I present my members uh, as uh, instruments of righteousness to God. God has wonderfully provided for a victorious Christian life. We call it uh, a separated life, a sanctified life, a victorious life uh, in chapter 6. In chapter 7, Paul declared that we are dead also to the claims of God's law, like the Ten Commandments. We have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that we may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. We have been delivered from the law. Last week, in uh, chapter 7, we saw that the law, like those um, painful tools that the skillful dentist uses, uh, that God has used the law to painfully make us aware of our need uh, for the Lord Jesus, and he, um, he brings us to, uh, to the Lord Jesus through that. Note that the law does not help me live a victorious Christian life. The law helps me come to Christ. All right? In our scripture today, we're looking at Romans 8, 1 through 17. Um, we will see God's inner workings. How does God make it work? We, we saw, uh, know, reckon, uh, present. Um, God has made that provision. Now let's take a look behind the scenes. And uh, I'll ask you a question here. A neighbor uh, bought a sports car, and your son or brother or a young man um, sees the new sports car, and the, no, 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 not yet, not yet. The young man sees the sports car, uh, neighbor invites him, let's go for a ride. So uh, they're tooling around the neighborhood and they pull into the driveway. What is the question that, uh, that the young rider, the, uh, the son or the brother, uh, what, what's his first question? <laughs> okay, they, uh, that's, a, that's a good first question. What's the second question? What's under the hood? There you go. Thanks, Don. Uh, show our slide. What's under the hood? What powers this, uh, uh, this, um, uh, this monster? Um, so the Lord wants us to know the inner workings of the victory that he uh, has provided for us over, uh, over sin and to live for him. Thank you, Christine. Who gives us the power to walk in newness of life? There's another slide here, too, I should show. Um, the next one. That's uh, San Francisco in the fog. Nope. Was there, a, there wasn't a clock. Okay. Clock didn't make it. That's fine. Who gives us the power to walk in newness of life? The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit. Now, we haven't heard much of the Holy Spirit in, in the first seven chapters. Paul's going to call the second person of the Godhead by his name, 14 times in these 17 verses. So the emphasis here is on the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit provide for this life of separation to God from sin? And why is this important to know? We're going to investigate that as we read and uh, uh, explain Romans 8. Let's read. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do, in, it, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We'll um, uh, break down our passage this morning into three sections. First, verses uh, 1 through 8, God liberates the believer from sin and death. Um, Verses 9 through 11, God's spirit lives in the believer, giving him life. And um, verses 12 through 17, God's Spirit testifies to the believer's adoption as a son of God. Lord, we thank you for your precious word and for the provision that you've made for uh, living this uh, victorious um, life that glorifies you. We pray you'd open these truths to the heart of your speaker and uh, hearers alike. In Jesus' name, amen. God's Spirit liberates the believer. He, um, he begins this uh, section with, um, therefore, there is therefore, now no condemnation. And um, therefore always points us back to uh, what, what he'd already written. And uh, here he's pointing back to uh, uh, justification by faith back in um, uh, one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 that we are justified by faith and have peace with God as a result. God not only releases us from the penalty of sin, we're no longer criminals um, in his court, but uh, he places that, uh, that righteousness um, upon us. He, uh, he declares us righteous, and so we now uh, have um, opportunity as his, as his sons to... Uh, enjoy him and to serve him. Therefore, also in light of his, his gift of eternal life, um, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's, not one con- there's no condemnation, not one bit. We sang this morning, uh, I hope you never grow weary of, uh, of singing, Free from the Law, O happy condition, Jesus hath bled, and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, God hath redeemed us once for all. So we're free from the law. Now we are free. There's no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. No condemnation, not, uh, not the least bit. Does this describe your happy condition this morning? Each of us here formerly was a child of God's wrath because each of us deserved his judgment. 
We read in Ephesians 2.3, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of, the, of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This is a good definition of um, what it means to walk in the flesh. Uh, we conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. If you're looking for a definition of walking according to the flesh, there it is um, in Ephesians 2.3. Peter describes further what it means to uh, walk according to the flesh. He says, those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority are presumptuous, self-willed, not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, Second Peter 2.10. What about those who are in Christ? Paul describes them too. He doesn't tell the Roman believers to start walking according to the Spirit and stop walking according to the flesh. Instead, he describes them as already walking according to the Spirit, uh, as true of all believers. Everyone who is in Christ walks according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Walk includes uh, the whole realm of activities in a person's life. Paul talks about the, the walk of, uh, of a person. He's talking about all those um, daily activities. The flesh. Well, um, there are different definitions uh, for flesh, uh, even in the scripture, but the meaning here is the evil, the indwelling evil nature. It's the unregenerate state of men. Okay, so it's um, uh, everything that excludes God and his, um, his grace. To walk according to the flesh is to live dominated or as directed by this corrupt uh, evil nature. Why don't believers walk according to the flesh? Paul's going to use that word for um, to give a reason. He's, he's about to give a reason, and he uses that word for nine times in these verses. He says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We're going to shift gears in our definition of the law. We think of the law as God's moral law, as uh, the Ten Commandments, but here Paul is referring to uh, what uh, I think, Noad, you described as an inescapable rule, okay? It's a dominating principle. It's a prevailing tendency. That's what, uh, that's what the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ is. That's what the law of sin and death is. It's this um, inescapable rule. Gravity is an inescapable rule. I, I, drop, uh, I drop something, well, I drop something, and, uh, and it falls. I don't expect it to go uh, flying around the room. It's an inescapable rule. And so, uh, and so we see two of these in this verse. One commentator um, says that the law of the Spirit is life in Christ. The law of the Spirit, that prevailing rule, is the life of Christ. So when, uh, when the Spirit, uh, when we're walking according to the Spirit, it's actually the life of Jesus that empowers us to, uh, uh, to live, to, um, to follow the Spirit. I, I love that. It's the, it's the vitality of Jesus that allows me to obey and to desire and to glorify, to please um, the Father. The rule of the, um, the law, or rather the rule of sin and death, the law of sin and death, 
is um, sin, the law of sin, always uh, pushes me or pushes a person into death, okay? That's the end result of the law of sin. And I, I think that's what Paul means by the law of sin and death. Death, um, by definition, uh, anywhere in Scripture is separation, all right? Here, uh, death is separation of a person from God. And uh, that's now. Death, uh, sin separates a person from God now. And if a person dies physically when he's separated from God, he will remain separated from God for all eternity. That's, uh, that's the law of sin resulting in death. So this, the, um, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What's your response to being freed from the law of sin and death? Our slide, Christine? What are these people doing? Sorry, they're kind of small, right? What are these people doing? Can you tell when this was? Yeah, they're celebrating. They're jubilant. They're triumphant. Uh, World War II, um, downtown New York or Chicago, uh, VE Day, victory over uh, Germany, and then um, uh, Berlin, um, when the Nazis uh, left Berlin, okay? They threw off the oppressors. We're free. What am I going to do? I'm going to dance in the streets. <laughs> and so we, as believers, should be jubilant. We should be uh, rejoicing in the Lord for the liberty that we now have, the freedom that we now have to do what we want to do. We'll look at um, what we want to do here shortly. But the... Um, Thanks, Christine. The idea here is, uh, is joy and appreciation. I'm, I'm free. I'm liberated from the tyrant of, uh, of sin and death. In verses 3 and 4, we see, um, we see the law's inability um, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. The law, we're back now to the Ten Commandments, to God's 610 uh, plus commandments that he put in Scripture. Do this and you will live, all right? Um, could not bring about the needed change. He, uh, the law could not deliver the sinner from sin. The law is... Um, uh, that's not the purpose of the law. The law is strong. The law is perfect. It's holy. The flesh is weak, corrupt, defiant. But the law uh, is like that straight edge. Uh, shows me how crooked I am. It shows me how crooked my life is, but it can't straighten my life out. The law is simply a, an indicator of perfection. Do this and live the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. What the law could not do, God did. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In the likeness of sinful flesh. He sent him in the flesh, and he sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh, so that the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders mistook Jesus, and they thought, wow, he's another sinner. He's like we are. And they accused him of uh, blasphemy, among other crimes, among other sins. God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. But God condemned sin in the flesh. This uh, really has a dual meaning. How did God condemn sin in the flesh? Well, first, he showed how sinful sin is by sending Jesus to the earth. He lived a perfect life. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him, there was no sin. And the, 
the, um, the life of Jesus, if, if we were living as a disciple, if we were living as a Pharisee, the life of Jesus was a continual rebuke to, um, to us uh, because he lived perfectly. Not a, uh, not a word escaped his mouth. It was not uh, righteous and appropriate. There's a second way that God condemned sin in the flesh. That is uh, when he gave his son a, uh, as a sin bearer on the cross of Calvary. Thomas Kelly wrote, Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. God condemned sin in the flesh. In verse... um, Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God accomplished the law's aim, and that was to bring us to Christ. The law uh, was to um, point us to Christ because of our sin, because of our need, and God accomplished that um, uh, through Christ. He... um, He fulfilled the righteous requirement in the law in us. And he's describing us uh, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. It's it's a description of believers again. Uh, Those who walk according to the flesh are unsaved. We're going to see more of this in the verses that follow. Those who walk according to the Spirit are saved. They're redeemed ones. In verse 5, we contrast the offensiveness of the flesh and the worthiness of God's Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit... What makes the flesh so detestable to God? What makes it so offensive to him? What are the things of the flesh? That will answer us. What are the, the, um, the things of the flesh that, um, that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on? I, I listed um, several things. One thing is... Um, that that aims no higher than the sky, that has no value past the grave. If you'll um, study in the book of Revelation, um, those who dwell on the earth, we see people who, um, who don't look uh, up. They don't look um, to heaven. They don't look at spiritual things. Their, their emphasis, their focus is on the earth. They are dwellers on the earth. All right, Their plans end at the grave. There's no... Uh, there's no God in their, in their mind. In fact, that's another thing of the flesh is um, there's no fear of God before them. They're careless. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we cease to exist. A second um, thing of the flesh is um, those, uh, that that uh, excludes thoughts of salvation and of sin and of uh, righteousness and of judgment. Uh, Many of our amusements, our TV programming, our movies, are set to um, uh, numb our conscience, to anesthetize, to to carry us blindly to the grave, deposit us there, okay? uh, These are things of the flesh. Um, There's an attitude toward the Lord Jesus, that the, uh, the wicked servant in the parable of the talents uh, speaks for us. He says of his master, uh, this wicked servant, he was entrusted with, uh, with goods, and he's reporting back to his master, and he says, I knew you to be a hard man. You, um, you uh, reap where you've not sown, you gathered where you've not scattered seed. Ah, you're unjust. You're, you're, um, uh, 
Uh, you're a cheat. And that's the attitude of uh, people toward the Lord Jesus, um, the, the things of the flesh. There's a humanistic mindset the Lord Jesus condemns. He said to, um, to Peter when uh, Peter was so misguided in his counsel to the Lord, he said, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Um, Satan is not concerned with, uh, with the things of God. He's concerned about himself and uh, about the things of man. So that's, um, that really describes uh, those who live according to the flesh, setting their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live set their minds, uh, um, uh, let's see, who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? Uh, they're spiritual truths. Paul tells the Corinthians, um, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, There's, um, there are things of the Spirit, spiritual truths, um, the things that God communicates through his word. A second thing of the Spirit is an eternal perspective. Um, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, he said, uh, God has put eternity in their hearts. So the, um, the person who lives according to the Spirit sets his mind on the eternal. He's, uh, he's thinking about um, what happens after tomorrow, what happens after I die, um, thinking about meeting the Lord Jesus. In verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. Show your, um, your warning there, Christine. Paul recognized that he was addressing a mixed crowd, that um, among the Romans there were those uh, saved, those who were walking according to the Spirit, and there were those who were unsaved, um, who walked according to the flesh. Or perhaps he was stirring the saints to action. In any case, uh, Paul, in explaining the, um, the inner workings of uh, the victorious life, he, he kind of interrupts the, the message here for four warnings. And this is the first of the four. The warning is simple. If you mind the things of the flesh, you will die. Can you make it more simple than that? You mind the things of the flesh, you will die. There's a, a sign at the top of Vernal Falls in Yosemite Valley. Some of you have been there. Some of you have seen it. And the sign says, or used to say, I've not been there for a while, but um, stay back from the water's edge. If you slip and go over the waterfall, you will die. The um, access to the top of the falls is very slick, and... Um, the water runs uh, kind of slow, um, but in the middle it goes very fast. And so the un unwary hiker will just kind of wade into the water and cool his, uh, his hot feet, but um, then he gets swept away over the falls, 317 feet to the rocks uh, and the pool below. Some people don't heed the warning. They they wade, they, they venture out into the, into the swift current, and they're swept over the side. Paul says, you mind the things of the flesh, you're going to die. Okay? Warning. The Lord's not asking you to do better. He's not asking you to try harder. He asks you to repent of your sin and trust Jesus as your Savior. He's not, um, not asking you to, um, to do better minding the things of the Spirit, okay? To be spiritually minded is life and peace, Paul says at the end of verse 6. 
It's a characteristic of those in Christ, those who belong to him. Warning down, Christine. Why, again, is the carnal mind so detestable to God? In verses 7 and 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Uh, it's, um, it's dead set against God. It's uh, opposed at every turn. It's, um, it's trying to derail the, uh, the plans of God. It sees a person being awakened to his need. <sighs> Let's go have a drink. Uh, let's go watch a movie. Why, why are you thinking about these, uh, uh, these things about uh, sin and, and salvation? Okay? So the mind, uh, the carnal mind is an enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. It doesn't bend. It doesn't yield to uh, the demands of God's law. And then, um, nor can it be. There's no amount of reformation or convincing or training that's going to make it subject to God's rule. That's the nature of the carnal mind. And then um, in verse uh, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In Hebrews 11, yeah, let's have the warning again, Christine. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We read in uh, Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please him. Impossible. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, this is um, Paul's second warning. A person who lives according to the flesh, he's, uh, his focus is on the earth and on uh, accumulating wealth and fame and and uh, uh, finishing at uh, full speed, may imagine that if God exists and if there is a judgment for my sin, maybe there's something, maybe there's something I can do. Maybe there's something I can say at the great white throne judgment that will help my case, that will get me into heaven. Uh, God says, um, God says this is vain. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible. That's, um, that's uh, Paul's second warning. Thank you. One observation before we leave this portion of Scripture is um, God's Spirit is infinitely powerful. He's, uh, he's sovereign. He, uh, he distributes things as he will, uh, as, the, as the wind blows uh, where it wants to. The Holy Spirit is... Um, is sovereign. He's going to do what he uh, deems is right. We are weak. Our bodies are frail. Even a little virus can knock us down. Why does the spirit trouble himself to save us, first of all, but here to, um, to give us the provision for victorious living? Why? Why? He's infinite. We're so puny. We're indescribably small. <laughs> because God gets glory for it. God receives the glory. If, um, if I'm living a victorious life, I'm exhibiting God's character. He is, he's, he's righteous. He's powerful. And his desire is for uh, his children to walk Walk according to the Spirit. Walk uh, being dominated by His Spirit. And so that's why, there's the, that's why the Holy Spirit's so interested, because, uh, because He's giving glory to Jesus. He's giving glory to the Father. He's exhibiting that, um, that character of God, especially His grace, His generosity, His humility. We are feeble folk, but the victory is Monumental. Our next section uh, begins verse 9. Um, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Uh, let's see. Um, now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So the Holy Spirit is a mark, it's a sign of God's uh, ownership, of Christ's ownership. 
Some uh, teachers um, believe that the believer must, be, must fulfill certain conditions before he receives the Holy Spirit, but that's in contradiction to what the Lord says here. When you are saved, when you trust the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell. There's no, uh, there's no pro, uh, uh, probation. There's no um, downtime there. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. Okay? That's our third warning. <laughs> Thank you. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus. You don't belong to Jesus. Thank you. Consider the marvel of the infinite God actively at home in the believer. The wonder of uh, God's infinite spirit dwelling inside a finite person, a finite body. The Holy Spirit has a ministry to perform in the believer to give him victory over sin and to produce his own fruit in him. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life today. Solomon's wonder at the temple that he finished in Jerusalem kind of uh, speaks to us of wonder that the Holy Spirit dwells within. Um, Solomon wrote, Will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less the temple which I have built. Solomon uh, saw the Shekinah glory in the temple and and God, uh, inhabiting the temple, he said, how, how can you, infinite God, dwell inside this temple I built when even the heavens can't contain you? And our wonder is, Holy Spirit, how, how can you indwell a, a believer when you're so infinite? But he does. He humbles himself to inhabit the feeblest believer. In verse 10, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said, Christ in you is the hope of glory with him. It's the confidence that we have of being in glory with, with Jesus. The body is dead because of sin, our physical bodies must age and, uh, and die and decay as a consequence of sin. We can't get around that. The body wasn't redeemed. Our souls and spirits were redeemed, but the body is, uh, is subject to death and decay. But the believer's spirit is alive with the vitality of the Lord Jesus. And Bill McDonald, in his commentary, puts a small s on spirit in verse 10. So it's the believer's spirit that is uh, life because of righteousness. And uh, in verse 11, if uh, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Future tense, the spirit will give, you, give life to your mortal bodies. He's not talking about the vitality of, of Jesus Christ today. He's talking about uh, the resurrection and that um, the Holy Spirit's indwelling you today is a guarantee that he's not leaving you. Uh, he's going he's to carry you to the, to the finish and that he's going to resurrect this body. He's going to give you a new, a glorified body. He will redeem this body. More on this in our message next week. Uh, in verse 12, Paul says, therefore, he's uh, conclude, concluding this section, he says, therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We're not obligated, we're not duty-bound to live according to the flesh. We shouldn't feel bad for not running riot with the world. Peter uh, in First uh, Peter 4, said, We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. 
In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So uh, um, Paul says, you're not obligated to live according to the flesh. We've been delivered from it. We're free. Don't, and by the way, don't apologize for living righteously. People say, uh, you know, you're, you're so straight-laced. You're, you're, so, uh, you're such a stick in the mud. Well, I'm not going to apologize. I'm, I'm following the Lord Jesus. Yeah. Uh, we are obligated, we are debtors to live for Jesus. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, he died for all, that those who live should uh, live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Verse 13, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Thank you. The apostle, this is his fourth warning, the apostle was earnest in his warnings. In uh, Acts 20, he said, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I'm free of your blood. I'm not, uh, I'm not responsible for your, uh, your not coming to Christ uh, because I preached. I, I told you. I gave you the whole counsel of God. And... Uh, uh, if you're still living according to the flesh, um, you're going to die. You will die. Okay? Thank you. He says um, in uh, verse 13, uh, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a dual aspect here. That putting to death of the deeds of the body is characteristic of the believer now that he's walking uh, according to the Spirit, he's mortifying, he's putting to death the deeds of the body. But there's a responsibility as well that we have to put to death the, the deeds of the body. We have a responsibility to act. God redeemed our spirits. Our bodies will not be redeemed until the resurrection. And um, Peter says uh, in 1 Peter 2.11, we must abstain abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There's that conflict again. There are lusts that are pounding, they're battling, they're, they're, uh, they're seeking to overcome our souls. Putting them to death, these fleshly lusts, doesn't mean isolating them or uh, pushing them into next week. It means to deal them the death blow, uh, get rid of them permanently, utterly destroy them and do not spare them. Verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Where does the Spirit lead? We love that uh, verse in, um, in the shepherd psalm, uh, Psalm 23, verse 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Where does the Spirit lead? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for, for Jesus' sake for his glory, for his honor, uh, for his praise. Verse 15, you've received the spirit of adoption, uh, not bondage again to fear. This um, seems to point to Mount Sinai where Israel put themselves under the law. They, um, uh, they, they put themselves in bondage and fear uh, by saying that they were going to obey God's commandments. Adoption is um, placement into a family as a mature son with all its privileges and responsibilities. And so we have received the spirit of adoption and not bondage. By God's spirit, we cry, Abba, Abba, Father. It's a term of endearment, Daddy, Daddy, I love you. We don't, um, we don't think it's uh, especially reverent, but God desires it. And um, he, um, he who is infinitely high is intimately nigh. God has that relationship with us now in the Lord Jesus. We have that relationship with him. And then in verses 16 and 17, 
the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The, um, the Spirit confirms the truth to a newborn believer that he now belongs in God's family. And uh, the Spirit does that primarily through the Word. The, the new believer reads the Word. He realizes, wow, I'm, I'm now a child of God. I'm part of his, his family. Not just a child of God, but an heir who inherits his father's estate. All that the father has are ours. And we share this inheritance as co-heirs with Christ when he comes to reign. It's possible that all our convictions regarding the Lord Jesus and his saving work were given to us by the Holy Spirit. If indeed we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. All believers endure hostility from the world. Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would, would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Don't be surprised. The world, the world hates us. Uh, because that hates Jesus. Bill McDonald, in his commentary, says that some suffer more than others in the cause of Christ, and there will be differing degrees of reward and glory. But all who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior endure hostility from the world. Okay, we've, um, we've run uh, through these verses quickly, and... Um, just to summarize, God's Spirit liberates the believer from sin that leads to death. God's Spirit lives in the believer and gives him, us, life. God's Spirit testifies to the believer's adoption as sons. May we rely on him more and appreciate him more as we go through this week. Lord, we thank you for your word again, and uh, we, uh, we want to apply these truths. We want to um, magnify your name to glorify you uh, as we see victory uh, over, uh, over sin in our lives by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.